Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Hear God's word to us. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hello again. My name is Tyler, and we decided it would be a great idea that the day I become a member should also be the day that I give my first sermon at this church. (laughs) So we're just getting all those firsts done today. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning, and I want to start by telling you a story about a little bit of life experience I had uh, when I was a touch younger. Uh, Maybe it's something some of you can resonate with. If there's one thing that I heard again and again after I received my driver's license, it was this. Call me when you get there. Anyone else hear that? Call me when you get there. When I announced I was heading somewhere, my mom would say, call me when you get there. When I was headed out the door, she'd remind me, call me when you get there. And it, gosh, it was the last thing a 16-year-old guy wanted to hear from his mom. Because I'm thinking, "Uh, sure, mom, as soon as I get there, the first thing I'm going to do is say, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Uh, Can you hold on a sec? I've got to go call my mom. I mean, I would get so mad whenever she'd say it. Call me when you get there. Call me when you get there. And then so one night. I'm headed out of the house. Those familiar words follow me as I'm walking out the door, and I turn around. I'm just ready to erupt, and I say, Tanya, you have got to stop saying that. It is driving me crazy. I'm going five minutes away. I've been to this place before. You know I'll be fine. Quit, you know. And I'll never forget how she responded to me. She looked at me knowing I was mad. She knows her stubborn son but with so much loving concern in her eyes. And she said, Tyler, I'm sorry, but I'll always be your mama. And I think her words are profound. I'll always be your mama. It was her way of saying, because of who I am, I can't help but worry about you. Because of who I am, when you leave the house, I think about you. Because of who I am, I'm compelled to tell you to call. Because of who I am, I have these concerns for you. And that's the way it works, isn't it? 
Because of who we are, there are things that concern us. Because we're a new parent or because we're at a new job, because we're uh, rent's almost due or the test is coming up, because we've reached a certain age or a certain income or we've reached a low point in life, because of who we are, there are things that concern us. And that's not always a bad thing. Some concern is good concern. I mean, it's good to plan for the future. It's good to be concerned about how you'll meet your responsibilities. It's good to think wisely and how can I come through on what I've promised and all those things. Some concern is very good concern. But sometimes our concerns can become our worries. Sometimes what we're trying to plan for and provide for and prevent from happening, sometimes that comes to consume us. And so this morning, as we continue our step-by-step study through the book of Matthew, and as we dig deeper into the greatest sermon ever preached by the most brilliant man who ever lived, we hear Jesus' own words for what to do when we encounter worry, about what to do when those concerns come to consume us. And I've got to tell you before we begin, Jesus' words are incredibly unique. Because you know and I know that Jesus isn't the only wise person who ever addressed the topic of worry. You can head right into Barnes & Noble, walk right up to that second floor, and I promise you, you will find book after book by author addressing this subject, which tells me that worry is, to some degree, something that we all experience but would rather not. And I think this has always been the case. I think that worry's been a problem for as long as there have been people because it's not just modern authors that have addressed worry. It's great thinkers throughout the ages. In fact, it was Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, who said, never let the future disturb you. And you see, Aurelius thought that we could think our way out of worry, that the mind was the solution, that just employing a little reason could make worry go away. And then maybe you're familiar with Bobby McFerrin who's saying, don't worry, be happy. As if the solution to worry was kind of a change in emotion, that by adjusting our emotional state or our feelings, we could overcome worry. I mean, there have been many people who have weighed in on this topic, but before we begin, you've just got to know that out of all the perspectives that have been offered, Jesus's stands alone. His word on worry, it's a word of encouragement and comfort that I know I've needed as I've prepared this message, and it's one that I pray will be encouraging and comforting to you this morning because Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry. He gives one compelling reason why we don't need to worry, a reason that I think could be the best news that you hear all week, a reason that's really a relationship, but I don't just want to tell you, I want to show you in God's word. So if you haven't already, could you turn with me to Matthew 6.25? It's on page 811 in our community Bible. Uh, Matthew 6.25, that'll be our launching point for this morning. And there Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Jesus launches a new and profound section of this sermon we've been studying for weeks by issuing a seemingly impossible instruction. Do not be anxious about your life, which is, I mean, honestly, that's hard enough to do on a good day and seems downright impossible most days, doesn't it? Really, Jesus? Don't worry? Now, to understand what he's saying here, I think we have to put this statement in its context. You see, Jesus begins his commentary on worry right after he wraps up his conversation about money. 
Maybe you remember that from last week. Gabe told us that money is a great servant, but an awful master. And if you just look a few verses up from where we are today, Jesus tells his disciples that, gosh, the pursuit that you're in after more money and more things and earning and saving and trying to build security by pursuing money, you need to abandon that. And you need to embrace instead generosity and giving to others and doing more with less. And Gabe talked about budgeting, right? Maybe this is familiar. Jesus just finished his, sub, or finished his discussion of money. And right as he finishes, and right as I think his listeners were saying, okay, Jesus, if we live the kind of lives you're describing, if we say no to greed and yes to generosity, if we sell what we don't need and invest in other people and in places like our local church, if we live how you're describing Jesus, what will happen to us? How will we get along? And right as those thoughts, I think, were going through his listeners' heads, Jesus says, hey, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. You see, Jesus has great timing. He knows that as his hearers are thinking about whether or not they can afford to follow him, he's saying, don't be anxious. Those legitimate concerns you have for your own welfare, they're starting to consume you. And so again, to understand this don't be anxious instruction, I think we needed to get the context. And we also need to understand uh, what this word anxious means. Because this word that's translated anxious here in that instruction, don't be anxious, it's actually a really big word in the original language that's found all throughout your Bible and has a few different ways it can be taken. So for example, this very same word, it appears in Philippians 2, as Paul's telling the church that Timothy is going to be a great pastor. And Paul says, Timothy's going to be a great pastor because there's no one else like him who's concerned for the church. That's the same word. So this word can be used to refer to those good types of concerns that we talked about earlier, right? Timothy's going to be a great pastor because he cares about the church. He's going to be concerned about the church. Now, this same word translated anxious here, it's also used in Luke 10. When Jesus is at the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they have Jesus in their own house, and Martha, one sister, oh, she's great. She knows what needs to be done, and she is checking off the to-do list, and the house is beautiful, but Jesus, trying to redirect her, says, Martha, you're anxious about many things. Same word here. You're anxious about many things, but one thing is most important. I'm here in your living room, and I'm giving words of life. I'm speaking here. Sit down and listen for a bit. Do your soul a favor. And I think that's the way this word's being used here. I think when Jesus is talking about anxious, and when we read this word, we need to think about those kinds of worries that divide our attention, that consume our energy, and that cause us to miss what's most important. Now, to be very, very clear, what Jesus is not talking about here is clinical anxiety. So when he's suggesting that, when he's saying don't be anxious, he's not suggesting that Christians should never seek counseling for anxiety or never use medication when appropriate to manage clinical anxiety. And I say that this morning because I, I just think it's, it needs to be clear because verses like this have been used by some to kind of shame some Christians into thinking that, you know, there's no such thing as anxiety or you should never need to see those kind of professionals. Please know that's not what we believe at this church. At Christ Community, we know clinical anxiety is real. Uh, we support fully the vocations of counselors or other mental health professionals that help folks work through those things. In fact, we believe that some kinds of medication can be the gift from God that's needed to bring a little balance. Okay, we, we affirm all that. And I just want to be entirely clear. Jesus, when he's saying, don't be anxious in your life, he's not talking about clinical anxiety. He's saying that kind of worry 
that divides your attention and consumes your energy and causes you to miss most important, you don't have to live like that. And then Jesus clarifies this bold instruction by identifying three broad categories that we need not worry about. So he says this, you can read it. He says, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat, about what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Did you catch that? Jesus gives three areas. He says, don't worry about your food, don't worry about water, and don't worry about clothing. Now, if you thought Jesus' instruction was bold to begin with, he has just raised the bar because Jesus isn't listing unnecessary luxuries, is he? He's identifying essentials for human life. He's not saying don't sweat the small stuff. He's saying don't be consumed by your concerns, even those concerns about those things that are most essential, about those things that are most basic. I mean, can you imagine how audacious this would have sounded to Jesus' original audience? Because when Jesus preached this sermon, he was preaching to folks that were entirely dependent on the land for their food. I mean, you think about an agrarian society. Your food supplies are dependent upon how much it rains or whether or not pests come and destroy the food. I mean, one year of drought or a swarm of locusts, that could be disaster. That means there's no food. That means we have to take some drastic measures. I mean, you you can't drive down the street to Cosentino's. There is no safety net. If food runs out, it's done. But even to that crowd, Jesus mentions these basic necessities. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your water. Don't worry about your clothing. And here's why. I think Jesus mentions these most basic needs for human survival because he wants his audience to realize that the solution I'm about to give to worry is a solution that goes down to the fundamentals. I'm not giving you a quick fix to take care of your minor cares. I'm giving you a solution to worry that can help you when even what's most basic seems in jeopardy. And so what's his point? Well, he goes on in verse 26. Let's hear what this solution is. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And continue, verse 28, he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And here's the punchline, verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you following Jesus' logic here? Jesus says, don't worry about your life, even those most basic necessities. You don't need to be consumed by your concern for them because your heavenly Father cares about you. You're valuable to Him. If you look outside and the birds are fed and the fields look absolutely beautiful, don't you feel like He's watching you? You're valuable to God. Now, when was the last time you thought about that? Jesus says you don't need to worry because you're valuable to God. And in fact, he goes so far to say that you matter most to God. Don't miss it. More than the birds, more than the fields, right? I think what Jesus is thinking when he mentions this is he knows the creation account. Think back to when God made the world. It's recorded in the Bible in the book of Genesis. When God made all that there is, the birds and the seas and the skies and the land, he, he loved what he made and he called it good. He said, land... That is some sturdy stuff that grows some nice plants. Land, that's good. Nice work, God. Animals, 
those are cute and cuddly. I did great. Good work, God. I mean, he loves what he made. Good, 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 like a refrain throughout that creation account. But then he gets to the final day of creation, and he stamps it all with his own image. The Bible says, male and female, God made us, and it was very good. As if to suggest that above all else that's been made, here's the crown jewel of creation, something new that's extra special and extra valuable to God in the creative order. And so Jesus looks at a crowd of people just like us, people who are tempted to worry, tempted to believe that if they live the kind of life that Jesus has been describing throughout this sermon, that they'll be left with nothing, tempted to believe that they've got to look out for themselves because no one else will. And Jesus says to them, oh, look at the birds. They can't work like you can work. They're not creative like you're creative. Oh, they're, they're good parts of the creation, but they're not very good. They weren't made in the image of God, but your heavenly Father, and notice that it's your heavenly Father, not the bird's heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, who has so much riches and ability. He cares even for the birds. Don't you think that you're valuable to him as well? It's like he's saying, don't you think your dad loves his kids more than he loves the birds? Jesus looks at a crowd just like us, tempted to worry, and he says, you're valuable to God. And I think that's so important. Because when it gets down to it many times, the reason I know I worry and that you might worry and that we can all allow ourselves to let those good concerns come to consume us and to steal our joy, and to ruin our productivity, the reason it can happen is because we don't see the world as it really is. We don't recognize that at work in all things and above all things is a God, our heavenly Father, who cares about us, who sees what we need and loves us enough to provide it. I mean, look at verse 32. Jesus says, The Gentile seeks after these things, by which he means those that don't know God, they worry about their food and about their water, and about their clothing. And really, why wouldn't they? Kind of as life as they live it, beyond maybe family and a few close friends, who has their back? They have to worry about those things. But your heavenly Father, Jesus says, He knows you need them all. God knows what you need. And because He knows what you need, and because He values you above everything else in creation, Jesus says, Hey, therefore, you don't need to be anxious about your life, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. See, when we're faced with worry, Jesus wants us to reconsider our priorities. Jesus' invitation to seek first the kingdom, it's, it's an invitation to when worry is sinking in, to reevaluate things and reprioritize what we're going to do, think about, and pursue. Because Jesus knows if you don't seek the kingdom first, you'll sink in worry forever. Seeking the kingdom makes all the difference. But how? How does this happen? Well, Jesus knows that seeking the kingdom causes people to connect with the kingdom's master with God himself, with the heavenly Father. So in seeking the kingdom, by looking for it and praying for it and engaging spiritual disciplines, we're actually, through those processes, aligning our hearts with our heavenly Father. We're allowing us to live in the ways that he designed us to live and flourish. And as that happens, our connection with him is deepening and our trust in him grows. Now, to be very clear, seeking the kingdom first doesn't mean that we don't also seek employment 
or that we don't also seek help when we need it. I mean, of course, we've got responsibilities. It simply means that above all that, above all the ways that we might try to minimize worry through our own endeavor, we prioritize the pursuit of God, seeking him first and his righteous standards for living. Now, seeking the kingdom also doesn't mean that it's some kind of, I mean, some folks have read it this way, seek the kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. It's like an if then, it's like there's maybe some celestial jukebox and you put in a dollar's worth of seeking and God plays your favorite tune on demand, right? That, that's also not what this is saying. Jesus is not giving you some magic formula to twist God's arm or, or make him do what you want. In fact, he's saying something better than that. He's saying that seeking the kingdom first actually causes us to live like Christ, who though he was very God, was also fully human, which means that like us, he had the choice of pursuing self-interest, of giving in to worry, of being consumed by the concerns of this world, or of embracing God's loving plan, path, and kingdom purposes. And Jesus chose that. And what I think is remarkable about this is that Jesus' life shows us that seeking the kingdom actually means you can live without worry because Jesus lived without worry, because he lived for the kingdom, and because he trusted that his Father cared deeply for him. You see, because Jesus sought the kingdom first, because he was about his Father's business, because he kept that at the top of his mind as a matter of first priority, Jesus was able to minister with freedom and joy, preaching throughout the countryside and healing people. And Jesus was able to weather opposition when it came his way because he knew the kingdom came first. And Jesus was able to even be obedient unto death, right? Walking to the cross, knowing that it's going to make all the difference for the whole world. He lived at peace without worry because he sought the kingdom first. Jesus models what it means to seek the kingdom first. And his life shows us that that pursuit can minimize our worry. Now, there's one more thing we have to get before we go this morning. It's uh, the key to this whole sermon, and it's found a little further down in Matthew 7. So there Jesus talks about prayer, and we're going to start at Matthew 7, 7. And Jesus says, uh, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you, which again is not some kind of promise that God will grant every desire you, of your heart, when you want it, how you want it, if you only do these things. It's not that at all. This ask, seek, knock, I want you to understand it as an invitation to actually be honest and approach your heavenly father. Something's on your heart, ask him about it. Something's troubling you, seek him, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's extending an invitation. And then the good news comes at verse 9. Jesus says, because which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, Jesus wants to make it very clear. God is a good Father who loves giving good gifts to his children. And he's suggesting in that that the key to leaving bad worry behind is embracing a trust-filled relationship with this good and caring Heavenly Father. So this is where it gets practical. What do we do when we worry? What do we do when we leave this space and we're not all here together and we didn't just sing pretty songs about God's goodness together? What do we do when those concerns of life creep up and are ready to consume us? And there's just a few things that come to mind. First, I think we've got 
to recognize the uniqueness of Jesus's invitation. I mean, I hope it's clear. Jesus isn't preaching, don't worry, be happy, as if emotional modification is the answer to worry. And he's not preaching, don't worry, get busy, as if a to-do list and having a firmer plan and grip on reality will minimize worry. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, don't worry, God's got you. He's saying that the solution to worry at the deepest level, it's about trust. And he invites us to seek a person who we can trust no matter what, God our Heavenly Father, and to make him and his kingdom our matter of first priority. Now, right now, I want to list three main ways that that trust can break down. And I think it's important that we, we work through this together now because knowing how our trust in God breaks down can help us see where we need to build our trust as we move forward. So I'm going to list these three broad categories of trust. Uh, first, I think our trust in God can break down because we can doubt his infinite love for us. Second, we can doubt his infinite wisdom as it relates to our good and meeting our needs. And third, we can doubt God's ability to act on our behalf. Okay, those are the three broad categories. And what we're going to do now, this is where you get to be a part of the sermon, but no one will be speaking, so you're fine. Dodged a bullet there. But I'm going to list these three categories again, and I'm going to walk through them real slow, and we're going together in this space try to identify which one of these three categories resonates most closely with our own hearts. Does that make sense? Why? Let's do it right now. Let's take the time because, again, if we can identify where our trust in God breaks down, we can begin to know where we need to be building it back up. And so I'm going to list through these three things. Think about yourself. Which one am I? Here they are again. Do you doubt God's infinite love? Do you believe that maybe he doesn't love you? Or maybe he loves all people in a general sense, but not you specifically? Or maybe he loves you a lot, you know, he loves you a good amount, but not completely because of some of that stuff you did or some of the places you've been. But, you know, and he, he loves you, but not enough for you to place full trust in him. And his love seems like it's contingent on something you do and all that. Do you, do you doubt God's love? His infinite love for you? Or do you doubt God's infinite wisdom? Do you question whether he really knows what's best for you? Maybe he knows in a general sense what's best for all people, but doesn't really know your situation specifically, or maybe he needs some extra input. Maybe you think he's wise, but if I could just tell him this, he would adjust his approach and all that. I mean, do you doubt God's infinite wisdom as it relates to the totality of your life and what you need right now? Do you doubt God's wisdom, his all-knowing wisdom for you? Or do you doubt God's ability to act? Do you question his power? It feels like you're like, well, God, if, if he could, he would actually do more. I mean, God's hands seem kind of tied behind his back. I, I think that God's powerful, but he doesn't really intervene in this area. I, I, this is too much for him, but this he could do. But the, I mean, do you doubt God's ability to act powerfully on your behalf? Where does your trust in God come up short? Man, it's so important to know. Those are the three big ways that our trust breaks down. And I hope maybe you've been able to see where you are, find yourself in the middle of the three of them. And then here's some good news. There's two big ways that trust grows. Through prayer and by reflecting on God's character as it's revealed in Scripture. So I want to get real 
practical with you this morning. I want to actually pitch something to you. I want to invite you to take a big step away from worry this week. It's something maybe all of us could do together. Here's what it looks like. Again, we said that trust goes through prayer and through study of God's word, reflecting on his character. So here's the invitation. If you feel like your concerns are coming to consume you, I want to say take one week And this is what meeting with God will look like for you. You're going to pray honestly and openly about whatever's concerning you. Because remember, Jesus gives us that invitation in Matthew 7. You bring your concerns to the Father. So you pray, you pray, you pray, you let him know everything that's bothering you. And then after you pray, I want to invite you to reread this chunk of scripture that we're studying this morning. These verses, this section. You can do it every day for a week. Don't worry, God won't get mad and he won't get bored. He won't think you need to be doing more variety. This will be beautiful, trust me. You can start by praying honestly and openly with God about what's on your heart. And then every day for this next week, reflecting on this section of scripture. Now, why this passage of scripture? Because it meets those three areas. Do you remember? It talks about God's love. It talks about his wisdom and holding the world together and making creation. And it suggests his power and that he's cared for the birds and clothed the fields. I think that by praying and letting God know what's on our hearts and by reminding ourselves of a God who values us and is concerned about us, I think that our trust can grow. Now, going to be honest, I know that this kind of step, what I'm asking you to do, I know that it might not be easy. I know that for many of us, worry has become a habit. It's a way of life. It's just kind of how we know to get through the world. I, I get it. I get it. And I know that, again, Jesus's words this morning, don't be anxious because God cares about you. I get that that can seem abstract, out of touch with my everyday life. Maybe good words to hear on a Sunday, but I don't know if I can put my full weight down on that promise. Oh, trust me, I get that. I totally get that. But can I tell you that in the past few months, in a time that's been full of worry for me, that I found Jesus' words to ring true. And I know I've told some of you this, but on December 18th, my mom broke her hip and her arm. She was in Chicago to visit me for graduation and kind of, well, there goes Christmas. I mean, just everything was lost and she's still in the hospital. And we've had a long process of dealing with insurance and bills and some covered and some not. And dad's been off work. And how does this happen? And all this. And I mean, it's been quite a deal. And then in the middle of all that, I decided to move to Kansas City and start a new job. And then in the midst of that, I've been on the phone a lot back with them, and there's been good days and bad days. And I mean, we found out quite recently that mom's first surgery for her hip didn't take, and so they're going to have to go back in, and she's getting a total replacement. She'll be a bionic woman soon. Uh, but it's been, it's been a worry season. And look, I say that to say this. I'm not trying to worry one up, everyone. I get it. In a room of this size, with the variety of people represented, I know that my concerns can just be one small voice in the chorus. Gosh, I look out and see you all. I'm sure there are plenty of legitimate reasons for concern in this room. I'm not naive, but will you hear me say this? I have found in these months that the promises of Scripture about God's care and value for me and my family, it's been incredibly comforting. And it's bolstered my spirits when times are tough. And it's helped me avoid being consumed by all these concerns and instead trusting in a heavenly father. It's just what I've experienced in my own life. And again, I just want to take us back to where we start. This has been what's made all the difference for me. Remember we started by saying because of who we are, there are things that concern us. I think the great truth of this morning is that because of who God is, 
our heavenly Father, he's concerned about us. Isn't that great news? Because of who God is, he's concerned about us. He's our heavenly Father. And so I just want to invite you this morning as we wrap up our time, I want to invite you to grow in your trust in God this week. Maybe you need to do that exercise of prayer and reflecting on Scripture. I think it could be of great benefit to you. And I think that we could all, whether we're in the midst of deep worry now or whether it's coming down the road soon because we know that life throws things our way, whatever comes, I just hope you remember that when worry arrives, when your concerns are beginning to consume you, when the weight of all of it seems too big a bear, that you have a heavenly Father who cares about you. And when you get to that point, I just want to ask the question, will you call him when you get there? Because he loves you deeply and you are of great value to him. And he, through his love and through his wisdom and through his ability, he wants to support and act on your behalf. So that's our good heavenly father. Let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, we, uh, we know that we can worry and that the small things in life and the big things of life and all the things that come our way, Lord, they can, they can rattle us down to the core. And God, it's a, it's a hard thing in the midst of all that, remember to put seeking you and your kingdom uh, as a matter of first priority, Lord. That's tough to do when we don't often or always do that. And Lord, we just want to ask now for your help in that process. Will you give us a better glimpse of your character? Can you, uh, through our prayers and as we read your word, can you remind us that we're valuable to you and that you care about us? God, give us a, a deeper sense of your character so that we can be the kinds of people in the kind of community that certainly follows through on our good concerns but doesn't allow our concerns to consume us, God, that aren't bothered by worry because we have such immense trust in our heavenly Father. We ask this humbly, knowing we need your help. Amen.